Now the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Well, it's been a long time since those particular readings, apart from Psalm 1, have been heard in church. And that's because uh, they are the readings set down for this Sunday, and we have not had this Sunday for decades. So this year, Lent, well, Easter, is really late. It's on April the 22nd, I think. And uh, the latest Easter can go is Anzac Day, April the 25th. A couple of years ago, uh, it was not quite the earliest Easter can go, but pretty close to the earliest Easter can go. And certainly the earliest Easter is going to go in our lifetime, or my lifetime anyway. Uh, And uh, so we're kind of moving from one extreme to the other. Uh, In fact, Two years ago, when uh, when we had the really early Easter, the next time it's going to be that early is going to be 2035. And the next time it's going to be this late again is 2030. But it will be on Antic Day, the very latest day it can be in 2038. So there's, you know, 20 years to hang out for. I don't think I'm going to have to worry about sermons in 20 years' time. All that means is we get some extra Sundays between Epiphany and Ash Wednesday. And while there have been some late Easter's, they have not been in year C. We're in year C, the year of Luke. So they've been in year A or B, the year of Matthew or Mark. So we have not had these readings for decades. Which is a great pity, because Luke's version of the Beatitudes... I think a great his version of the story, and I think we should hear it more often in our churches. So we are more familiar, probably, with uh, Matthew's version, and there are some important differences between Matthew and Luke, apart from ones in Matthew and ones in Luke. So talk to your neighbours for about twenty seconds. What differences between Matthew and Luke's beatitudes come to mind? This will be how you, you know, test on whether you are listening to that reader. some others as well. Jill. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blah, blah, blah. Luke, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those of you who hunger. Blessed are those who mourn. So, not interested in the spiritual stuff, just the actual people who are poor. That's the first difference. And there's another big difference. How closely were you paying attention? Where is, this, where is Matthew's set? What kind of setting? It's called the Sermon on the on the Mount. So it's probably on a mount, and traditionally that mount is a little mount 
a little hillocky thing overlooking Capernaum. So if you go to Israel on the Sea of Galilee, at Capernaum, there's a hill nearby, and you go up there, there's the church for the Sermon on the Mount, and you look down on Capernaum. Where's this one set? On a plain, on a level place. So I'm going to look at those two differences, because they are quite significant. Uh, but I want us to just hold two things uh, in mind as we do that. The first is, this is a really interesting thing, but Luke is writing his Gospel and the Book of Acts to a man called Theophilus. And it is often assumed that Theophilus was a wealthy man of comfort. So keep that in mind. He is writing this book for a wealthy man. And then we will think about that with some of the things that he says. And the second thing is, as I said a few weeks ago, the lens that we are to read Luke is the story of his time in Nazareth. When he read from the scroll of Isaiah and said, Today in your hearing, this reading has been fulfilled. And then he stirred up the pot. So... Everything that Luke says after that is how Jesus is fulfilling that passage from Isaiah. And in fact, that passage from Isaiah, in some ways, is Jesus owning for himself what Mary had already said about him in her song of protest. So that's important when we have a look at it. So, uh, the first thing is a plain. So we could just say, well, it doesn't really matter. One was on a mountain, one was on a plain. Uh, It's really hard, if you go on the internet, to find a picture of, even when they say, Sermon on the Plain, Jesus ends up on a little hillock thing above everyone else, which is not how Luke describes it. He says he was on a level place in the midst of them, Surrounded by people, and then he looks up at his disciples. Not look down, look up. So, that's uh, these are deliberate things. So, what is why did Matthew have his on a mountain? Well, Matthew, part of what Matthew is trying to do is to portray Jesus as the new Moses. So, Matthew's gospel is the one where, because of Herod's naughtiness, and killing all the infants and toddlers. He has to, his family go down to Egypt, where Moses came from, and then they come up out of Egypt, like Moses, and he is on a mount or a mountain where he gives, where he starts his ministry, and just like Moses gave the law, was received the law from the mountain, so Jesus gives his new reading of the law, the Beatitudes, and then the Sermon on the Mount, on a mountain. Small mountain, but still a mountain. That's a deliberate ploy. Now, mountains are wahitapu. They are sacred places, holy places. They are places where God resides. That's across many cultures. And that's another reason why Matthew has... Uh, Jesus on a mountain. This is a sacred place. Well, what about a plain? What is a plain? A level place. Well, in a lot of scripture, a plain is, as I said in the pew sheets, just to wake up my computer and find the right place, a place, it's a wahinoa. 
It's a profane place. It's a place of corpses, of disgrace, of suffering, of misery, of hunger and mourning. It is a broken place. So that's the story is set on a broken place that in Scripture most of the time is linked with those kinds of ideas. Corpses, disgrace, suffering, misery, hunger and mourning. And Jesus is in the midst of broken people, poor people, sick people, people who are possessed by demons, desperate people, broken people in a broken place. And these people are surrounding him and the group, the Greek which, we trans- which has been translated as touch is actually grab. They are grabbing hold of him. They want a piece of him. They want to be healed. So going back to Luke 4, this is what it looks like when Jesus lives out proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. That's what he's doing here. This is what the year of the Lord's favour looks like. He is standing in a broken place amongst broken people, proclaiming good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty for all those who are oppressed. That's these people, and he is in their midst, and he is bringing hope and healing. Of course, the other way that plain is used in the Bible is the reading from Isaiah and Ezekiel, which we hear every Advent, where the high places and the low places are made level so that the people of God can return home. So a level place, a plain place, a plain can also be a symbol of salvation, of redemption. And so Jesus is living that out on this plain He is bringing salvation. He is bringing hope to all these broken people. So this is not an accident that Luke places the story on a plane. It's just not, I wonder where I could put this story. A plane. We haven't had any planes lately. We'll chuck it on there. This is a very deliberate use of that symbol. So... There's Jesus, surrounded by people, clamouring to touch him, and he looks up and he sees his disciples, and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And so, their, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Blessed. Blessed. What does that mean? What images come to mind? What do you think it means to be blessed when you are poor? It's a tricky one. For a lot of the Old Testament to be blessed, as we heard in our reading from Jeremiah, well, that had connotations of being blessed by God with long life, health, wealth, and bucket loads of children to keep your name going. 
And there's a whole Christian theology that continues to espouse that. To be blessed means that God will bless you. You become a Christian, you'll be blessed, you'll be given wealth, you'll be given lots of children, you'll have a comfortable life, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. It's called a prosperity gospel. And some of us think it's a heresy, really. But there you go, it's there. And it's very strong in some churches. But actually, that's not what the Greek means in this instance. The Greek here can be read in a number of ways, but in in essence, what it means is honoured. And I've said that every three years when we've had Matthew's version of this. A better translation of this would be honoured are the poor in spirit, or honoured are the poor. Honoured. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus lives in an honour-shame society where the most important people and where the celebrities of his time are the people of great honour. And your life is spent maintaining your family's honour and avoiding shame. It's still like that in the Middle East. It still functions on an honour-shame society. And there are things that happen which are just seem horrendous to us, but it's all about protecting your family's honour. Now, the people in Jesus' time of great honour were the ones who people thought had been blessed by God with long life, wealth, lots of children, and lots of power. And in fact, it's probably a little bit similar today, really, isn't it? These are the important people. If we look at our magazines and if we read the stuff on uh, newspapers, the important people are the wealthy people and uh, celebrities. I mean, our women's magazines are all about celebrities. Jennifer Aniston has been pregnant so many times, we probably can't count anymore. Uh, But it's important that we know that she's been pregnant again. But here Luke is saying something radical. He is saying, in God's eyes... The most important people, the people of greatest honour, are the poor, the hungry, those who mourn. Now he is turning that social structure on its head. He is saying, if you want to know who you should look to, if you want to know who are the people who would talk to you about what God is like, these are the ones, the poor, the hungry. Those who mourn. That's a pretty difficult thing to say, really. Now Luke is writing to this well-off, comfortable person. And he's trying to lay out the gospel in a very orderly fashion. We assume to convince this person that to be a follower of Christ is a good thing. So then he has the warning. And blessed are you, honoured are you when you are reviled because of me. Your reward will be in heaven. Or that's my brief summary. So, it's not a, not a good sales pitch really, is it? But what he is saying is that Jesus was living out God's compassion and generosity. Jesus was living out the year of the Lord's favour. Where does Jesus do that? He does it on a broken place Amongst broken people. And then he's saying to him, by extension, so where is the spirit of the risen Christ at work today? 
in the broken places, the profane places, with the broken people. And he's saying to us, so when we look for God, the work of God, and when we look for where God might be, where do we look? Well, where do we look? We're Anglicans. We look for flash churches and cathedrals. The holy places are up the front where you're not allowed to go. I mean, I've been shooed out of sanctuaries of cathedrals. No, 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 you can't go in here. You're just an ordinary person. You have to be a holy person in here. This is a holy place. This is where God is. With all those wonderful stained glass windows and all the important people are up the front and they're up high above everyone else so the rest of us can look up and see those important people who are elevated above us. And where does Luke say that God is? In the midst of the broken people. It says actually if you want to have an altar anywhere it should be in the middle of a cathedral. It should be in the middle of the church because that's where God is. Now, one of the reasons I'm a Franciscan is Francis got that. And that doesn't mean he didn't think church was important. He went to church every day for Mass. He said the daily office all the time. It was in his rule. You followed him, those were the things that he had to do. He held the priests in very high esteem. You were not allowed to be rude to priests. But he knew... Despite the fact that God was present in the bread and wine, that when he went out, that was where he would find God. Not just in the church, not just in the bread and the wine. Where did he find God? In the lepers. In the poorest of people. In the sick people. Everywhere. That was where God was. He broke out of the chains of his religious society and encountered God in all kinds of surprising places. This year we celebrate the 800th anniversary of Francis going to meet the Sultan. Why? Because the Sultan of Egypt was where God was. He, a Christian, went to see the Muslim leader because that's where God was. Well, that's very motivational. But then Luke carries on. And the carrying on bits are a lot less comfortable really, aren't they? Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Remember he's writing to a rich person. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Essentially what he's just done there is describe all the people of honour. And he has said, woe to them. Now it's not a word of condemnation, it's a word of warning. You need to change your ways. Now this is where the, the magnificent Mary's song of protest comes in. Because that's an exact echo of what she has in her song. That's exactly what she said. And here's repeating it. Here amongst these broken people. The reign of God is not about business as usual. With the rich staying rich, if not getting richer. 
because Jesus knew that the wealth of the rich and powerful was based on the poverty of the poor. And he was all about changing that. And I think one of the greatest sadnesses about this passage only appearing every 20 or 30 years in our lectionary because of the way Easter kind of moves backwards and forwards is that we kind of miss this really important message. I use the uh, Church of England daily office because it's on the cloud and I can just download it wherever I am and there are all the readings and canticles and things and I don't have to look up things, it's just there on my tablet. But what amazes me is the colleagues, which are always, like it's like Christianity has become the spiritual self-help thing. Help me be a moral and nice person today. Which is fine if that was all Christianity was. But I have a strong suspicion that Luke would go, Whoa, that is not what Jesus was on about. It's so much bigger than that. Stop putting in this little be a nice moral person and then you'll get into heaven stuff. The year of the Lord's favour is about the reign of God here and now. And it's a radically different way of understanding how our social community should work, how church should work, how society should work. It's radically different because who are the most important people? The poor, the hungry, those who mourn. I find that just a little bit challenging because if I'm honest, on a global scale, I am one of the rich. My time in Melanesia a few years ago made that so clear to me. I have access to health care and education and comforts that that's the vast majority of people in Melanesia, well actually just about everyone in Melanesia, could only dream of. I am one of the rich. Even in this country, even in this country, I'm pretty well off. So when Jesus says, woe, issues his words of warning, they are to me. And I have to think about that. How does my life, my comfortable middle class life, how is that built on the poverty of others? How do I live as a wealthy person in a way that honours the poor, the hungry, those who mourn? Hard questions. Luckily, we have Lent coming up. So maybe those are the kind of questions that I'm going to have to take into Lent and spend those seven weeks thinking about. Thinking about what is it that I need to let go of as a wealthy person if I am to really hear what Jesus is saying through Luke's Gospel today. So I'll leave that thought with you and you might want to just sit for a moment and think about that and then we'll say the creed.